Well, turn in your Bibles if you have them or on your devices to, uh, where is it again? Oh yeah, John chapter four. We're going to read it today, but first, before we do that, I want to do a little survey. Where did you meet your spouse? Don't, uh, don't yell out answers or anything like that. And you might embarrass yourself. But I was just wondering how many of us met our partners in religious contexts. We did. I did. I did. A young lady... Uh, I started going to a church, and then this uh, young lady was playing guitar and accordion at the same time in the orchestra pit, and she, she really impressed me. But and so she caught my eye. But but if 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 I remember correctly, every time I looked up at her, she was already looking at me. So I don't know if I caught her eye or she caught mine. Um, she'll deny that vehemently. Not the playing the two instruments at the same part, but her looking at me all the time. That, that's, that's, that's true. So, so how many of you, like, like is Bible school or Bible study or is church? or is that you, That's where you met your spouse. Just, just wave your hands at me. Okay, well, that's, that's... Now, if you met your spouse in Superstore, that's okay. You know, it's, it, this is not a test or anything like that. It's not special if you, if you meet your spouse in a religious context. But what we're going to look at today, well, the reason I say that, that whole thing is because I remember a gal telling me, she said that her mother said, her mother gave her this advice. If you want a husband, go to church. That's the advice she gave her. So in, back in those days, that was, that was, a, that was a major that, that was a teaching. Parents would tell their kids to do that. Well, in these days, if you wanted to meet a spouse, you go to a well. No, it's true. You go to the well. Look at where the romances started in the Old Testament. They started at wells. Because women used to gather or collect the water. Or they would feed their flocks, and that's where they were. And then and 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 they were they were in a place where their parents couldn't interfere. See? So you could go and talk to a girl without dad going, you know, that's 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 where you did it. We're gonna see that today in this passage. Let's read it. We're gonna go from one to 42. And in my Bible, that is an entire page. Therefore, when the Lord knew uh, that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and he went away again into Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. Remember that. He had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city in Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, 
being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will spring in, will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, yeah, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. At this point, his disciples came and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one says, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the man, come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I've done. 
So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. Now, there's a few pages spread around in this room right now, and you can look at those, and you can write on those, and you can keep those, or you can throw them away, if that's okay with me. But here is our outline for today. And with my tongue in my cheek a little bit, I say the title is Samaritans, the true worshipers. The true worshipers. We know that uh, there's not one group that gets this claim. There's not one, there's not one um, person or one entity that gets to say, we've got it, no one else does. So I say that with a little bit of sarcasm. Samaritans, the true worshipers. And yet, and yet, anyone can be a true worshiper. Samaritans included. Because if a Jew sees that, Samaritans, the true worshipers. If a Jew sees that, they're going, no, no. You know, that those Samaritans are unclean. And we'll find out why. And we'll find out why they think that in a minute. But look at underneath there. It says... And I want you to be uh, aware today that Jesus is in this house and he's pulling on your heart and he's drawing you to himself even now. Whether you've known Jesus for a thousand years or two hours, he is after you. He is pursuing you. And I would encourage you today to respond to that. Please respond to that. Don't let the moment pass. God pursues us. And what this woman does is she responds to it and then she reports it. And that is her worship life. That is what, that is, that is how she's going to live from now on. She's going to respond to this water that she's been given and she's going to tell other people about it. Samaritans, a people with a past. My goodness, and what a past it is. But I want to share all this information because I think what God does is plant seeds. He causes things to happen. He causes history to unfold so that someday, sometime, in some way, the water can be given. The people can discover. The people can receive. So in order to understand this people with the past, and to answer the question if whether they're Jew or Gentile, we've got to go back to, and you can write this down somewhere, you can look it up later, in 1 Kings chapter 11, Solomon is, um, is addressed by God, and he says, uh, God says to him, uh, where's your heart? Where's your heart, Solomon? I'm going to do something to you that's, uh, that's difficult. I'm going to take most of the kingdom away from you. I'll leave you with a little bit for the sake of your father, who is a good guy. At present, you have, I've, I've lost you, Solomon. You've been, 
You've been drawn away, all these relationships you have with this, these women, these idolatrous women, you've become an idolater. And in 1 Kings 11 also, God, through the prophet, finds a guy named Jeroboam. And he says to Jeroboam, through the prophet, he says, I'm going to give you 10 of the tribes to rule over. And the question that is out there and the question that um, you'll, you'll find on the internet or anywhere is, that where are these tribes the tribes that were given to Jeroboam, where are they today? It's an interesting question because we, I know two people, two Jewish people who are from the tribe of Benjamin. And I know one person who's from the tribe of Judah. Who's the guy from the tribe of Judah? The lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus comes through Judah, down to Jesse, David, all the way to Joseph and Mary, and then Jesus can say, I am of this tribe. So I know one person, well, Mary and Joseph too, but I know this one person of the tribe of Judah. I know two people of the tribe of Benjamin. One of them is the, the Apostle Paul. He said, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. The other guy is that Tiny little, short, thick cook that used to work over in uh, the Acropolis. How many of you know who I'm talking about? You did? Okay, yeah. What's, what was his name again? They called him Demetrius, but his name was Chaim. And I got to know this guy. He's about this tall, and he makes a great salad. And he said, I am of the tribe of Benjamin. I come from Israel, and I can, I can claim this for myself, that I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. But Judah and Benjamin were the ones that, you know, it's sort of up there. It's, 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 hard to, it's hard to pin down because the ten tribes that were removed from Solomon and given to Jeroboam, uh, are they, are they, which, which tribes are they? Because Benjamin got this tiny little land uh, allotment and Jerusalem is in it and then Judah is all over the south end all over the south end except for Simeon Simeon is in the middle of it there but Judah is the south part the other 10 tribes are the northern part where did all these tribes go God does not want in his economy in his in his kingdom, he doesn't want one or two groups saying, we have more than others. We are better than others. We are higher than others. We're better looking than others. We have something that others don't. Although, although in the kingdom of God, here we are, all kinds of different messed up people. We do have something and we do have to tell others about it. However, God has set this up so that the Samaritans will be who they are. And they're not really, you know, the best bunch. Now, how many of us can say that we come from a good bunch? I, uh, my, my, my father, my father was born on an island off the coast of Holland called Texel. And he was orphaned and then he was brought onto the mainland and that's where he was raised. But he is from... He is really from 
a marauding group of pirates who did accept the Mennonite faith somewhere in their history. That's the only real claim to anything moral they've got. I am from bad stock. Sorry, Dad. We'll talk about that later. But, but really, none of us can make any of those claims. And God sets us up so that we can get to the place where this woman gets to, where she sees who she is. She sees what is really inside of her. She probably already knows. And then Jesus says, I can help you with that. I can change that. I can give you what you need to become a, a person that you can be proud of, a person that you can... That you, can, that you can hold on to and live for the rest of your life. Now, the Samaritans, are they Jewish? Are they Gentile? Well, we go on from Jeroboam. We get to 1 Kings. We get to, we get to 1 Kings chapter 16, and a king named Omri, he decides to set up the um, capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. He decides to set his, his capital in Samaria. And in order to do that, he has to buy a hill from a guy named Shemer, Shamer. And that's where you get the name Shemeritan, Samaritan. So he buys this and he, and he sets up his capital there. Later on, in 2 Kings, we, we read about the northern kingdom uh, losing its identity and being taken away into exile. That happens uh, under the hand of a king named Shalmaneser, and he's a Syrian. So he conquers them, and he, uh, but, um, but there's, this, there's this really interesting story in 2 Kings chapter 17. You got to read it. Just write that down somewhere and read it later. But in a nutshell, the king removes all of the native people, the Jewish people, and he replaces them with other exiles. Really, they're other exiles. He's just moving people around so that he can keep control and tabs on everybody. He's just moving people around. So the people that go there, they have this problem. They, they get eaten by lions. Ever had that problem before? I haven't. Anyway, there's lions all over the land, and they're eating them and killing them. Well, killing them and then eating them. And so they call the king again, and they say, We've got this problem, this land that you've sent us to, we, we, we have this problem. And he says, okay, here's what you do. You don't understand how the land works and how the, how the people who lived there before you, how it works. So we're going to send you a priest. And he's going to teach you how to fear the God of the land, which is Yahweh. And they do that. You see, what's happening is God is planting these seeds. But you need to know, you need to know. As I was reading on this, and a couple of commentators said, the, um, he didn't just wipe all of the, he didn't just take them all into exile and then replace them all. There would have been some left behind. So what happens, that this is where you get the mixed thing from. This is where you get the, the, the mixed blood from. This is what I think. The people who came, they learned about God, but they also intermarried with the people who are already there. And so you get this, you get this unclean people. They're, they're mixed up. They're mixed blood. But honestly, 
Really? What is a Jew? When you think about it, what's a Jew? Abraham is their father. What was Abraham? Was he Jewish? He's Chaldean. He was Arab. He wasn't Jewish. He was called by God to move and settle. And then God started a family through him. But really, none of us can claim any of this stuff. However, however, God, God allows you and I, God allows you and I to be to be ungodly for his purpose, to draw us to himself. He does that. He sets us up. This is, this is an incredible setup right here. So this people has uh, this history. They are, the, and, and, and then there's, there's always this tension between the Jews and the Gentiles. That's why it says in the passage, the Jews and the Gentiles have no dealings. They hate each other. Later on, this is not in scripture, but John Hyrcanus, who's a Maccabean, he comes into Samaria and he just devastates it. He levels their temple and he, 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 he does damage. No wonder there's this tension going on. No wonder there's this, there's, there's this difficulty. And we've got it today. We have it today, don't we? We've got wars and we've got conflicts and we've got people wanting to overcome another people and it's, it's a mess. The world is a mess. Somebody say amen. amen. It's a mess. And it's, it's, it's into this mess that Jesus comes and he walks into the mess. He walks into the ugly. He, he, he confronts these people. How many times have I have I uh, stepped aside from a situation because I didn't want to talk to a, a homeless person. I didn't want to talk to a, someone culturally different. I didn't want to talk to, you know, because eh, I don't want to put the energy in or I don't want to, I don't want to get dirty. Ugh. What is wrong with us? Jesus isn't like that. He walks into that situation. He had to go to Samaria. He had to go through Samaria to get where he's going. That's not what the text is saying to us. It's not saying to the, he, that he didn't have any other route to take. If he was a good Jew, he wouldn't have taken the route he took. If he was a good Jew, he would have went around. So he didn't have to mix with these mm, people. So he decides not to. He has to go through that place because he knows he has to talk to this person. And what about this person? What about this woman? She's a woman with a past, too. <laughs> She's got quite a past. They get talking. He says, I can offer you this living water. She says, I'd love some. He says, go get your husband. She says, I don't have one. He says, that's true. You've had five. And you're now living with someone who you're not married to. This you have spoken truly. She comes from a race that's messed up and she herself is messed up. And he walks up to her and he starts this conversation. As soon as, oh, I was, uh, got into some 
some conversations and some discussions about why this woman had this relational dilemma. Like, what, what was wrong with her? What, what, was, what was happening here? Why? What, was it her fault that, that the marriages went south? Or, or it, was it, you know, back in those days, a woman couldn't write up a certificate of divorce. Although that's what it does show in The Chosen. Did you see this part in The Chosen? Where she brings the, and then he throws it in the fire, right? And, and that, but that's wrong. Because they don't do, it was the men who were allowed to do that. They could write up the certificate of divorces. So she was receiving them from the men that she was with. She didn't have anything. So what was she? So I'm writing down and I'm thinking, well, is she, a, is she the victim? Or is she the... Oh, what, what would be on the other side of that? Is she, I don't know, is she a nag? What, what, what's wrong with this person? So, Janae walked by my office. I said, Janae, come in here for a minute. What do you call a woman <laughs> who has this problem? This is what I'm going to preach on. And she goes, a black widow. She probably was offing them. <laughs> Janea, whoa, whoa, that's a little heavy. Okay, so let's call her, if she's not the victim, then she's uh, a gold digger. Let's say she's, she's taking advantage, she's a, t- I don't know. I really don't know. Maybe it's a little bit of both. Maybe she's a metaphorical black widow, but there's something wrong. There's something wrong. Something is definitely wrong. And Jesus, he doesn't seem to care. He does, but he doesn't. He just walks into that situation and he says, and he says, I can help you. I can help you with this. And here they are meeting at a well. And I heard it said somewhere that that there's a romance going on. Isn't there? There's, we have on our, on our banner the four Jewish institutions, and I was wondering what, what, why is a welfare? That's not something that I could draw from from my past. What, why is the well a sacred institution or a Jewish institution? And it's because of the, what I mentioned before. It's because of the tradition of meeting spouses at wells. And starting romance there. And Jesus carries on the tradition. He meets a woman. Now, he doesn't start a romance in the traditional sense. But he starts a relationship with this woman. And he basically, he wants to be her husband. He wants to look after her. He wants to be her savior. And that's how the conversation goes. Because as soon as she, she discovers that he's onto her, and he says, oh, you must be a prophet. Then she starts talking about the worship. And I'm surprised at how much this woman knows. She says, our people say, here's the place. And she's looking at Mount Gerizim. Mount Gerizim is where, you know, that's kind of the Samaritan hotbed. 
Now, there was a Samaria, a, a city, but it's that, that hill I was talking to you about, bought from Shemer. It's not, it's about seven miles away. But this is Mount Gerizim. And if you look in your Old Testament, you'll see that's where the blessings were pronounced. And on the other mountain, the curses were pronounced. So this, this is an important historical place for Jewish people. So she's looking at Mount Gerizim and she's saying, our people say we're supposed to worship in this mountain, but you people say, and she knows what their people say. She understands what their people say. She's got some knowledge up there. And she says, you people say we're supposed to worship over in the city of Jerusalem. So which is it? And so she's, she's, she's kind of taken the conversation in another direction. Is that because she's embarrassed about marriage? I, I don't know. Is that because she's embarrassed about her past? I don't know. But she starts this conversation with Jesus. It goes from marriage to worship. And then Jesus says, it's not about a city. Aren't you glad it's not about a city? And it's not about a mountain. And aren't you glad it's not about a mountain? I will probably never get to see Jerusalem in person. I don't know. I might. I might someday. I don't know. But honestly, I'd rather be here. I'd rather be here because the scriptures tells me that I can be a worshiper and I can be a worshiper anywhere I happen to be. I don't have to go to a mountain. I don't have to go to a city. I do like to come to Grand Prairie, though, and be in church with you guys. I will do that. That's important. But I don't have to travel. I don't have to travel to Israel. Or I don't have to go to Mecca. Or I don't have to travel to Tibet to understand who Jesus is. He says, I will meet you where you are. I love that. I, I really love that. It's not an exclusive thing. It's not like one person or one group has more than someone else. We're all on the same plane. All of us are just messed up and we stink. Sorry. But that's the truth of it. And Jesus walks into that mess and he, and he embraces us. That's the, that's the amazing part about it. So let's move on to the true worship part. One person says that true worship is strong affections for God uh, rooted in truth. And Jesus offers this lady this water. And, and it's, an interesting, it's an interesting prospect because, because it's, not, it's not a supply that comes from somewhere else. She doesn't, it's like it's, it is a well, but it's, but it's not like you have to go there and then you leave and then you go back and then you, leave and you go back. He says, he says this, he says, I will put water inside you and you will be the well. The well will be within you. And it will, it will keep springing up inside of you and springing up inside of you and springing up inside of you from now on till the end of time. This is what I can do for you. And she kind of doesn't get it. And she says, oh, I'd love that. I would love that. Yeah, let's, let's do that. And then, of course, they, you know, they get into the, the conversation about the worship. This is what it is. And... and and if you go a little bit further into John, you'll see Jesus stand up and say, and this is going to come out in another 
sermon somewhere down the way, Jesus stands up and says, come to me and drink, and I will give you water. And then John adds this little note. He says, well, what's Jesus talking about? What does it say in that passage? Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. And he says, I will meet you. I will give you my spirit. I'll put it inside of you and it will spring up within you without limit. It'll just keep coming and just keep coming. So it's the spirit goes in and the spirit goes out. The spirit goes in and the spirit goes out. I get enough for me and I pass some more on to somebody else. I am completely satisfied and yet we need each other to feed each other. So we help each other. And we also take that spirit and we take it outside of these walls and we start talking to our neighbors and talking to, our, to the people out there who, mm, uh, who are maybe may hard to talk to. And you have more opportunities of that than I do because I spend most of my days and the hours in my days in this building. And, and so, so I don't rub shoulders with a lot of the, the riffraff out there. But you do, you do, and I do too, because you know I have a neighbor, and my neighbor and I have to, you know, we we have to we have to interrelate somehow. He he's he's a farmer, and he's you know he said he he even he even comes and asks me. This is how nice my neighbor is. He comes and asks me um, whether he should spray or not his fields, because he doesn't want it to affect me. He doesn't want it to, you know, he wants to do it on, on and I say, John, spray your fields. Just go ahead and spray, I don't care. Just go and do it. But, but he's, you know, he was, he, he wanted to put up another shed for his stuff. And he says, uh, I wanted to ask you if this was a good place to put up my shed because I didn't want to block any of your views. He's just a really nice guy. But I I'm not sure that John knows. He knows some, but he doesn't know all. He doesn't know the truth. And sometimes we get talking about, so I bring him eggs. He, he invites me in for coffee. And we have coffee and boiled eggs. And, and we get talking about, we get talking about some things. And I'm able to interject a little bit of who I am and what I believe. He's married to a Filipino gal and she's Catholic. And so we get talking about that too. I invited them over to my house for coffee. And we, and, and man, they stayed, they stayed, they stayed. Man, I'm going, man, are you guys going home soon? But they stayed and they stayed. I had to feed them lunch. It was great. That's kind of what we do though. The spirit comes in, we get enough, we get fed, we get this living water. It's, but then it doesn't just sit there and, 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 and stay within me. It, wells up and it comes out it comes out and somewhere I'm going to be able to share that now I was sitting in my office and going over this stuff and and you can see as we as we get down to number two there that this this lady has this strong compulsion to share she she runs into the city and she says there's a guy out there who told me my past, almost like that was a good thing. <laughs> Do you understand where I'm going with that? Like she says, this man told me everything I've ever done. 
It must be the Messiah. It must be the Christ. And then the men go, yeah, it must be the Christ. Where is he? And then they all go out of the city to go and hang out with Jesus. And then at the end of the chapter, they say, or at the end of the section, they say, well, it's not, you know what? It's not just because what you said. It's because of what he said. And now we believe. Isn't that a wonderful story? Isn't that a fantastic thing that God sets up these people at this place for this time, and then he walks into that ugly mess. He walks into that uncleanness, and he meets this woman, and he has this conversation, and she, she then brings it to the others, and they come and meet him. Man, it's just, it's just powerful stories. So, I want to ask you a question today. Not where'd you meet your spouse, but I want to ask you a question. As I was sitting in my office preparing for this, I thought, I thought what I would do with this message today is, is talk a lot about what spirit and truth means. Because as you know, I'm the worship guy around here, and that spirit and truth stuff means a, means a lot to me. The, the truth of how we worship and, and, and what we do and and, and that, you know, the scriptures tell us to raise our hands and the scriptures tell us to clap our hands and the scriptures tell us to sing and the scriptures tell us, you know, it, it, the truth is there. All we got to do is read it and obey it. But what does it mean to worship in spirit? And maybe we'll explore that some other time because as I was meditating on this, the question came to my mind is, is this, where did you first meet Jesus? This lady meets Jesus in this setting and context. Where did you first meet Jesus? I want you to think about that moment. It, now, I want you to think about that. You know, when I do a wedding, I always, uh, I always get the people out there. It's, it's harder and harder to do these days because you don't know who's going to be at a wedding. But I try to get people out there to... Uh, to almost uh, redo their vows and to be reminded that, that they made these promises. And as they witness the couple up here, they can go through in their own head what, you know, what it was for them. And they can, you know, just reminisce. Well, I want you to reminisce. I want you to think about when you first met Jesus. And, and, and I, as I said before, I was thinking about this, and, and I think that this is a really important exercise because one of the reasons is because some of us get tired and some of us get overwhelmed and some of us have stories to tell. As a Christian... As someone who's met Jesus already, I would bet that you have been through some stuff that, well, a lot worse stuff than I have. You know, I've been pretty blessed. I get sore knees. I'm heavy. I have to take metformin to control my blood sugar levels. That's about all I can tell you that's, that I suffer with. Some of you have suffered with 
so much more than that. And in that suffering, I think sometimes we can lose sight of this relationship, of this living water, of this marriage that we have with Jesus. And you know, I heard it said once in a message, I heard it said that if you know, if you know, if you know that God loves you, your Father loves you, that Jesus loves you, life can bring whatever it does. And we can make it. And we can, we can, we can thrive. We can have a life of worship that, that, that continues this, this, this flow, this flow of water. Water in, water out. Water in, water out. And you will have enough. And you will have more than enough. Uh, but I began to think of, and you know, we, we pray on Tuesdays and we pray on th- Thursday mornings and you're invited to the Thursday morning one if you want to get up that early. And then Jones will buy a lunch, uh, breakfast over at, uh, over at A&W. That was a joke. He's not going to buy you breakfast. But um, as, as, you know, we, we pray for people and we pray for people who are in dire sp- spots. We pray for some hard stuff. People who are going through sicknesses or, or loss or, or relational breakdown or, you know, whatever, or wayward kids. I don't know. So many things. The potential is there, ladies and gentlemen, for you and I to minimize or to, or to ask, where's, where's God? Where's, where's Jesus in this? Where, where's my Jesus? The promises are all there, but I, I'm, I'm not living it. I'm not, I'm not experiencing it. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? And that, that, that is, is wrenching my heart right now. That, there's, that there are those among us who are, who are doubting what God can do and who he is. Because if Jesus... If the grace of God isn't enough for us, then, then I'm leaving and going out the door. And I'm doing something else. I'm leaving this life. But it is enough. The water that Jesus gives you is enough. So what we're going to do in the next few minutes is sing another song. And I think it's uh, King of My Heart. Where is he? Oh, yeah. Right? We're going to sing that. And then we're going to take communion. And I want you today in this service to really focus on who Jesus is to you, what he is to you and what he has done and what he will do. Because what he's done, what he's done is is phenomenal. Man, he set you up so good and you opened your heart to him and said yes. And now you have this life. Look at what he did to that, not just to the Samaritan woman, but to the whole Samaritan clan, to the whole thing. Did you know, did you know that today, as we're speaking, there's a group that calls themselves the Samaritans? They live at Mount Gerizim. There's just just this little handful of people. There's lots of men and there's no ladies. So they're having trouble carrying on the race. They call themselves Samaritans. 
You know what else they call themselves? They call themselves the keepers of the Torah. So they're the ones who... There's this exclusivity that... <laughs> and you're just going, folks, you had it. You had the idea. You had the answer. Back here in your history, Jesus met you. He talked to you. He shared with you. And, you know... We know that over time, we can, we can lose some ground or we can, we can just get tired. If you're tired today, I would encourage you. No, I would exhort you to open your mouth and sing some praise to him, to talk to him today, to, to, to go back to your first love, to enjoy his presence in whatever state you're in. I know it can be hard sometimes, but whatever state you're in, it might be your fault, it might be somebody else's fault. It might be her fault that she's had all these divorces. It might be the husband's fault that she's had all these divorces. We don't know whether she's the victim or the black widow. But whatever state, Jesus says, I can help you and I will help you. So I want you to, to take this message and respond to it by worshiping Jesus today and renewing that relationship today. So Father, come into this house. You already have, Lord. We have this well inside of us. We know about it and it's, and it's, and it's welling up and the spirit is there and, and we've been saved and and blessed, and we've been washed in the blood, and we are going to heaven, and we're in the kingdom. All these things are so true in us. But some of us are in Job's place, where the suffering is great. And our thoughts might be turning to, Lord, where are you? Why is this happening? When will it end? And so I pray for everybody in this house today that we, would, that we would embrace you, Jesus, like never before. I love the way, Lord, that it's so fresh. It's so fresh. It's so good. Where did you meet Jesus? What was it like? What was your honeymoon like? What was that? What was that first week, that first month, that first year like? When you knew you were forgiven of your sins. When you knew that that the very creator of the universe was living in your heart. What was that like? How amazing was that to you? How wonderful to you? I would encourage you today, find it, find it, revel in it, embrace it, keep it. Don't let that go. Don't let that go. And have an experience today in this house, in this moment, in this hour, have an experience with Jesus all over again. Love him, praise him, worship him. He's worthy. He's so worthy. So Lord, come into this place 
And we've prayed already, Lord, that you would be here, that you would receive our praises and our worship. Lord, may we just continue to do that. And when we leave this house today, it will just keep flowing out. Water in, water out. Spirit in, spirit out. It'll just keep going and keep flowing. But Lord, do a work in our hearts today and help those who are suffering. Help them be their strength. Be more than they expect. Jesus. 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 Jesus.